Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 117. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm extremely excited to introduce a very special guest, Denise McCluggage. Denise, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yeah, can you do a wheelie? (laughs) I will do my best to impress you. (laughs) I'll give that a try. Denise McCluggage is a legend in the automotive world. She's a race car driver, a journalist, an author, a photographer, and an honorary judge at Pebble Beach, Amelia Island, and the Santa Fe Concorso. She embarked upon a racing career in the late 50s and took part in many international sports car races, Her co-competitors included the likes of Juan Manuel Fangio, Sir Sterling Moss, Phil Hill, and many others. She won at numerous racetracks around the world and has driven many outstanding race cars. Her trademark white and black polka-dotted helmet was a standout on tracks around the world. She's an award-winning journalist, a writer and photographer, and Denise holds the Ken W. Purdy Award for Excellence in Automotive Journalism and the Dean Bachelor Lifetime Achievement Award. And she was the first journalist to be inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame. Her adventurous spirit and zest for life are simply magical. So, Denise, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a few moments and share a little more about your incredible history, your career around automobiles, your interest, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? It was all really um, happenstance, quite accidental. Nothing was planned. When you were a woman journalist, as I was and am, you couldn't then plan for much because uh, you weren't allowed in a lot of places. I mean, for instance, I wasn't when I covered Indianapolis for the Herald Tribune. I get out there with my credentials and everything, and they won't let me in the garage area. Oh, my gosh. Uh, So I had to... (laughs) I had to interview the drivers through a chain-link fence, you know. Oh, wow. uh, Then I wasn't allowed in the press box until the guy, my friend Frank Blunk from the New York Times, said, well, you don't need the Herald Tribune, you don't need the New York Times either, and turned (laughs) around and started walking out. And so I I broke a 
a, a barrier that year, uh, yeah. women allowed in the press box, or a woman, anyhow, wow. in the press box at Indianapolis. <laughs> so That's so cool. You, you couldn't plan on that basis, you know? Sure, sure. I just went along with things and I had a good time. You certainly have had an immensely incredible life around automobiles. And as a journalist, and you're still writing to this day for so many different publications, but as a race car driver, how on earth did you get involved and break into that barrier? Well, the thing was, I was a journalist, right? Mm -hmm. And I happened to do what I wrote about. I was a ski editor, so I skied all winter, you know, it's uh a pretty good racket. I got paid for going skiing and paid to go motor racing. Wow. So I uh, I said I wanted to cover this new sport of um, sports car racing and uh, talked them into it. We were the first one at the Herald Tribune to uh, have a regular column about uh, sports car racing. It was a great scam. I went to the races and raced and I'd uh, jump out of the car and said, hey, who finally won that? Fish was leading when they passed me. (laughs) (laughs) Then I put my uh, little portable typewriter on a stack of tires and you can tell how long ago that was to have to have a stack of tires. Now one of them would be a table. Sure. (laughs) And it it was terrific because I had a lot of adrenaline from the race so I just buzzed through my story and called it in, and I had been working. (laughs) Yeah, well, was racing something that you had a passion for from the time you were young, or was it something that developed through your journalism? There wasn't a lot of racing. There certainly wasn't any road racing in the U.S. to speak of. I'd go to the Topeka State Fair and, and watch the uh, sprint cars and the half-milers, I think they called them, and race on the dirt track, and that was always very exciting. And we'd go to Colorado. I lived in Kansas, so we'd go to Colorado for several weeks every summer, and at that time, the Pikes Peak Hill Climb was uh, on Labor Day, and so it sort of ended the summer. And I got to go to that a couple of times when, and when I was like 10 years old. Louis Unser was my hero because he was always winning, like every answer after him, mm-hmm. winning at Pikes Peak. He was, as I said, my hero. But the great thing was and they had a lot of concessions around various places of little race cars, small race cars that kids could drive. And they weren't ones that were attached to one of those things that go around and around, like, a, you know, a, a merry-go-round type sure. thing with a car that you sat in. They were loose cars, wow. and they'd go as fast as 10 miles an hour. They had a little gas engine in them. Mm-hmm. So I would uh, pretend I was Louis Unser and go driving <laughs> in this. And I, uh, I I liked that a lot. That was, uh, it was a great feeling. Sure, the feeling of speed, the feeling of freedom, and... Wow, that's tremendous. And the feeling of of control. Yes. You know, even then, that you were aiming it in the direction you wanted it to go. You were doing, it was doing what you wanted it to do. And there were a lot of little tricks and things that you could do to to make it get a little bit sideways even. And why am I not surprised at Denise McLuggage getting sideways in a go-kart at 10 years old? 
That's fantastic. I always love to start talks with my guests here on Cars yeah with with an inspirational quote. And it's something that has a meaning to you, especially you being a journalist working with words your entire life. This is something that is a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars yeah. So, Denise, what is your inspirational quote? Take the wheel. Well, actually, I can't remember who said it, but I used it in my ski book. But anyway, it was, forget quotations, tell me what you know. Ah. <laughs> well, how have you incorporated that into your life around cars and your, your passion for cars and riding? Well, I... Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I like writing. That's what I did for a living. And my purpose was to make my experiences real for people who didn't have the opportunity to do them, mm. as I did. Oh, and when I was a, a, a sports writer on the Herald Tribune, I would do things like I jumped out of an airplane. Um, I mean, with a parachute, no fool <laughs> I. But it was a new sport. Parachuting was just starting kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I'll write an article about that. So I made a number of parachute jumps and wrote about that. I wrote about ride driving a uh, racehorse and a sulky thing. And I wrote about whatever it seemed interesting. And a lot of it had to do with uh, race cars and, and, uh, and cars of some kind. Sure. So... Um, Oh, fantastic. I love so many aspects of that. Just tell me what you know, because doing things is how you learn about things. And you certainly have done a lot of things in your life. That's tremendous. On your automotive journey through life, is there a moment that you can remember that instigated your passion for cars, that that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car gal? Well, when I was very small, I had a pedal car. Mm. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it was active and it was a car. In fact, on the back cover of my book, uh, By Brooks Too Broad for Leaping, there's a picture of me in that car with a little neighbor boy. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to see that I was driving. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny because I have a similar picture. My uncle, when I was very little, gave me a Garten pedal car. It was a, ki ah. a Kidillac. And uh, I remember, huh. yeah, it was called a Cadillac, and it was designed after a 50s Cadillac. And I remember, kind of remember that. I was quite young, but I do remember my mom gave it away when we moved. And I've bothered her about that uh, ever since, saying, why did you give away my Cadillac? I wish I still had that. But uh, Yeah, well, those things are valuable now. Well, they are, too. Yeah, I think the sentimental value would mean more to me than anything. But it's great that that pivotal moment for you was in a car and pedaling. In a car. The other thing was that there was a, a neighbor who was then, he was, uh, to me, uh, he was a man. Uh, he was just in junior college, a rancher, and uh, he taught me to ride a horse, and, he, and he, he taught me to drive when I was like four years old. I mean, I would do the steering, he would do everything else. Yeah. And so I was convinced that I was a driver at uh, age four. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Even better. What I'd love to do now is, is maybe drive down some of the roads that you've driven down. You've had such a rich life and, and really crawl under the hood here. And I'd love for you to share maybe one huge challenge or even a great 
failure that you've faced in your life that, that you can recall, but more importantly, how did you overcome that situation and what did you learn from it? Well, I tell you, I don't have any really dramatic kind of stories or at least none that are that seem dramatic at this point. But generally, I always felt that uh, if there was a wall in front of me, the best thing to do was go around it. <laughs> Very astute for a race car driver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was, I just somehow managed, found different ways, and uh, things happened, yes, because as I said, people don't don't understand how really different it was for a woman then. Yeah. You just, uh, right from the very start, when I was growing up, when I was a child, like up to the age of five or six or whatever, my my best friend was a, a neighbor boy, not the one that was in the, uh, in the car with me, but another one. And he had a sidewalk bike, and we shared riding it and everything. And he was having a birthday party. He was then seven years, going to be seven years old. Well, at that age, you were it was too old to be playing with girls. So I wasn't invited to his birthday party. Mm. I mean, this is, can be shattering. This is your very best friend, yeah. the person you played with most. And uh, you're not going to uh, go see a Tom Mix movie, you know? <laughs> I was I was shattered. Yeah. And uh, I ran after his his dad had a paint a paint company, so they had the pickup truck, and all the kids were riding. All the boys were riding in the back of the pickup truck, and I ran after it, yelling and crying. Oh gosh! So they finally. Had, had to let me in. <laughs> so tear-streaked and, uh, and and dusty, I got to go to the party after all and saw the Tom Mix movie. But I think I learned there that uh, if, if you're going to live in a man's world, you're going to have to keep up with him one way or another. Oh, goodness. Wow. If it's, if it's running after a pickup truck, you do that. But you know what that means? How incredibly unfair all that was then. Sure. But it was the standard. And I tell you one quote that I really, really, really do like, which mm-hmm. opens the book called The Go-Between by a, a English author named Hartley. Mm-hmm. And it's a quote I use a lot when I make speeches at car clubs and things. And that is, the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. Ah, oh, I love that. That's fantastic. Isn't that great? It is great and perfect for the story you just shared. You know, it's uh, yeah. Th- there's a great quote that I love that Ayrton Senna, the great F1 driver, shared, and he said, "The past is just data. I only see the future." And it's yeah. uh-huh. very similar to the quote you just shared with me that the past is the past. It's just a memory, and it's a lesson learned, and you just move forward. Yeah, well, the, the important thing is, is the difference. And, and people often think, well, racing was just like it is now, only it was different people doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but that's, that's not the case. Things were a lot different. Everything was considerably different. I mean, you look at television now, and when I was doing some TV uh, for CBS Sports, a, a couple of 
pieces I did. And women weren't on television right. doing that kind of thing. There were certainly, there were no women doing uh, news. Uh, there was a guy told me, he said, well, we people will not take serious news in a women's voice. Hmm. They can only do light news, you know. Wow. I mean, this is some guy who hired people for television telling me that nobody would listen to a woman's voice giving them serious news. Well, try to tell that to some of the cows who are doing, who are anchors on TV now and, and who are incredible reporters and very, you know, terrific. Right. And they don't know. They don't, they weren't there. So they have no idea how uh, they would have been just shut down instantly. You, nobody will accept news in your voice, so we can't hire you. Well, thank goodness we had women like you to push those barriers and move through them. I think that's fantastic. And, you know, let's shift gears here a little bit and go to the other end of the spectrum and perhaps share one of the many aha moments I'm sure you've had in your career, a time when you realize, you know what, I think I'm going to make it in this game of either racing or journalism, or you pick one of the many successes that you've had and and tell us the steps that you took to, to turn that aha moment into your success. That sounds almost like it involved planning and doing something and things. Most of the rides I got were somebody would call me up and say, hey, do you want to drive my car at Sebring? Zap, you know. <laughs> you didn't have a regular kind of uh, racing teams and stuff then in that, in that regard. People, people drove for the, the factory teams, and then they also drove for uh, uh, privateers and so forth. Mm-hmm. But now I was, three times I was offered a ride at Le Mans. One was on a Porsche factory team, and one was on Briggs's team, uh, Briggs Cunningham's team, driving one of his Corvettes Mm -hmm. at Sebring, and another was uh, with Luigi Canetti driving an Oscar with uh, Ricardo Rodriguez. I was supposed to either that or or somebody else. Anyway, (laughs) wow, (laughs) uh, I could do that because women were not allowed to drive at Le Mans at that time. Hmm. Now, Luigi had won Le Mans more than anybody else at that time. It was three times. So he had a little bit of clout. Mm-hmm. And he goes to uh, the head of the organizer, Ms. Aka. And I saw him, watched him talking to him, giving those uh, lovely little Luigi shrugs and talking <laughs> and talking. And coming back to me with another Luigi shrug and saying, Ms. Aka says... This is an invitational race, and we do not choose to invite women. Oh, my gosh. So uh, I never got to drive a Le Mans. Oh, jeez. they had let them drive earlier. Well, Europe was very uh, open that way. Women could drive in, in races that they, when they couldn't here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But uh, then a, a French woman had been killed at a race at Reims, and they thought, oh, that's very bad publicity. We won't let women drive at our race. So mm. uh, the thinking was absurd, but uh, that's how they thought. Sure, sure. And, uh, and Lynn St. James got to drive, I think it was 72 or something. They started letting women drive again. Mm-hmm. But I, I would so much, uh, I mean, can you imagine driving a, 
a Porsche. Well, that was before Porsche won everything at that time because their biggest car was one and a half liters, I think, still. Mm-hmm. That's the perfect size. I love that size car. Yeah. And uh, it would have been terrific racing on the Porsche factory team, for heaven's sakes. Oh, gosh. Wow. Even though Porsche wasn't famous and big at the time. Right. Right. They were still there. Well, just the fact that you were there is absolutely amazing. And of course, you did get to drive in many other races and many other cars like oh, you, yeah. you shared. But maybe you can share, and I'm sure you've had many proud moments in your career and your life. But is there one that you can think of today that stands out that you could share with us that was a really proud moment in your career? Well, it was all one big problem. I <laughs> and I, I think probably... Uh, Getting the Ferrari, when I drove at Sebring, and um, I, I met a guy up skiing, and he had three fantasies. I don't remember. One was being in a Western movie, and one was driving in a sports car race. And I thought, hmm, uh, I'm into fulfilling men's fantasies in so far as I'm capable. <laughs> so I said, you want to drive with me at Sebring? Oh, my goodness. And, and he said, uh, yeah, sure, you know. So I didn't have a, a car or anything. Here it was, like January, and the race is in March. Oh, so goodness. You, you see how things happen faster then. Yeah. So I went to Briggs, and I went to Luigi, and uh, anyway, I ended up, I sold my uh, Porsche, road Porsche then, and I, I sold that, and Luigi and Briggs made it possible that I could buy this Ferrari that had raced at, at uh, Le Mans, mm. and so here I had a 250 GT short wheelbase, Skyetti body. Wow. <laughs> uh, Ferrari, yeah, and uh, so I took Alan. Alan Eager was his name. He was a great saxophone player, but he had never raced. They turned a uh, uh, lime rock over to me for <laughs> an afternoon or uh-huh. whatever, which is another thing is unlikely to do. Sure. And uh, so I knew that Alan had a good feel for gearboxes, and and it was a, a sensitive driver just from the road. Mm-hmm. But uh, racing was different. Yes. Which he discovered. I gave him a, a ride around Lime Rock, just normal kind of riding. And then I started turning it up a little. <laughs> and I look over and glance at him, and he's cowering in the corner. He says, you're trying to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh. But he uh, he caught on pretty well. And by golly, of all things, at Sebring, we finished... 10th overall, first in class, first in GT, and uh, wow. GT was as, as as important as the uh, prototypes, mm-hmm. so we made $2,000 prize money. Nice. Flew the car to Europe and went to went racing at the Nürburgring. Which <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, wow, dreams come true. Yeah. Alan had a, a, you know, a great time. It was. Uh, I'll bet. I'll bet. He, what a fortuitous meeting on the ski slopes. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Let's have a little fun here. Do you remember your first, not your first car, but your first really special car? And could you share a memory that you had with that vehicle with us? Yeah, probably when I, I was working for the San Francisco Chronicle. 
in San Francisco, and my boss was a real, real uh, carbon out. In fact, he won uh, Best in Show with a car at, at Pebble one time. Oh, wow. But I, uh, where did I get that? I bought a, an MGTC. Oh. Oh, I know what it was. Yeah. What happened was one of the guys in at the Chronicle was a car nut, and Shell Cavalli was opening a British motor car company mm-hmm. is the first that was what 50 60 years ago or whatever anyway we went to the opening of that and there was this little mg um little black mg that was it looked like a loose roller skate it was unbelievable <laughs> and I fell in love with that so thoroughly. I had never experienced such craving for anything. I had to have that car. Wow. And I tell you, I wanted that car so bad that that night the British pound was devalued and they dropped the price. <laughs> oh, how fun. Now there's a lucky boob. And so I, I called my dad back in Kansas and he lent me the $1,800 to buy the car. Oh, nice. So that, that was my first major, major car. Well, you know, I'll tell you something, and I'll share a little story. The car that instigated my passion for automobiles, which has been most of my life, is an MGTC. My father bought one when I was probably five years old. And That's I rem- what these were, were TCs. Yeah, and I remember riding in the back deck behind him. He'd give us these oh, go- yeah, yeah. these goggles to wear. Perfect. Yeah, it was a five-year-old size. Yes. to sit back there. Yes, it was. There were no seats, but there was perfect size for. A, yeah, it was like a. You could sit cross-legged there, and there was a little bar yes, that ran across perfect. the back of the seats, and my dad called that the chicken bar. Yeah. And he said, "If you're chicken, <laughs> you'll hang on when we go around corners." But if you're not, you'll put your <laughs> hands up like you're on a roller coaster. Of course, today he'd be arrested for child endangerment. But uh, back then, it was very different. How fantastic. And did you ever race that car? No. No? No, I never raced TCs. I never raced. Uh, I raced uh, MG at Sebring much later, an MGA. Ah, okay. Uh, but um, for the, a factory car. But I never uh, never raced the TC. They were, <laughs> they were um, charming and everything, but, God, they were bog slow. You have yeah. To admit. yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've had in your life that you sold that you wish you could have back in your garage today? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because I had a, I had some really nice cars, you know, including Lancia and Alfa, my Giulietta. I had loved that, and I had some, and the Ferrari and all. But the car that I would really like to have back was my Mini Moke. Really? Now, why you know, is that? The Mini Moke was a little Jeep-like looking. Mini, mm-hmm. from the early Mini days. I had one in Vermont. It just was a charming little vehicle. It was. It looked like a little Surrey kind of thing. With, mm-hmm. In fact, I put fringe around the top of, of mine <laughs> for, a, for a parade and painted it all up. But it, it um, was just as bare as it could be. It, it pretty much chassis with some seats and a wheel. Yeah. It was great, great fun, and marvelously, 
I don't know, nobody could even look at it without smiling, let alone write in it. You know, I'm, it was, yeah, I'm sitting here with a smile just thinking about those, and especially that of all the vehicles you've had, which have been some amazing vehicles, that that's the one that is nearest and dearest to your heart. That is very cool. Well, it's the one I would like to have because uh, everyone says, you know, what's your favorite car? What's your? I said, whatever I'm driving right now, if I like it, you know, that's yeah. that. <laughs> My current car, which uh, is now... 21 years old, mm-hmm. is a two-door Suzuki sidekick. Oh, goodness. And it has certain certain characteristics of a Minimoke in that it's perky and, and cute and uh, uh, rides like a buckboard. And, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's an adventure. But, yeah. And, and it, you know, it's... it's uh, I'm getting a little old for those bumps, tell you the truth. But, uh, <laughs> well, that is fantastic. Are there any current projects you're working on right now, Denise, that really have you excited and fired up? Well, I'm doing some um, publishing, ebook publishing. Oh, nice. Uh, I, for Full Court Press, it's called, spelled F-U-L-C-O-R-T-E. Mm-hmm. And our first book out was, uh, I happened to have, be at a car event, a Porsche thing, and uh, at dinner, I sat next to a guy who kept talking about his friend Jimmy, and turned out it was Jimmy Dean. And he and Jimmy Dean had been friends the last 16 months of Jimmy Dean's, uh, James Dean's life, mm-hmm. and uh, had turned him on to racing, and that's why he had gotten into Porsche racing. And, oh, wow. Uh, so I said, well, do you have a book? Because I was starting to do this publishing thing in my head and uh, he said no and I never will and I said why and, and he said I that's you know exploiting his friendship etc and mm. so forth and I thought well let's see we're on the soup now I have to desert to convince him otherwise <laughs> and I did and he had never written a book before but he did one it's out and it's available on at Amazon both as a uh, on-demand paperback and as an e-book, uh-huh. and it's called Jimmy and Me. Oh. And I think it is the most charming and heartbreaking book. It's just terrific. And our next one will be out. It's almost ready to go online. It's just difficult because the author is Sir Sterling Moss, uh-huh. and it's a, re- a redo of his uh, book, all but my life. Oh, fantastic. And he wrote a charming forward to it, and I wrote an afterward for it about the... He he did that with uh, Ken Purdy, Mm -hmm. a great writer then, and uh, both of those guys were friends of mine at the time, so I did... I did a uh, afterward for that. Oh, fantastic. And then I'm going to do my book, by Brooks Too Broad for Leaping. That'll be as an e-book, and then I'm doing two more collections of my stuff from Auto Week mm-hmm. that have never been published before, and they'll be published originally as e-books. Oh, fantastic. And, uh, oh, some great projects you're working on. That is great. Okay, Denise, this is a funny question, and I love asking people this question because it brings out a bit of their personality. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be? And why? 
I would never be a car. You can't drive yourself. <laughs> well, it's more about, I guess, your personality. Well, my personality is to drive. (laughs) (laughs) I see. I like that. Well, there's a very unique answer. I love that. That's great. Yeah, you can't be the car because you drive cars. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, we're up to a part of our talk here where I call it the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask for some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you got that polka dot helmet on and you're buckled up and ready? Yep. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, this is this reminds me of when Phil Hill and Sterling Moss and somebody else I don't know were on a, a, a radio show or TV or whatever it was, uh-huh. and they were all asking what advice they would give drivers. Sure, and uh, Phil said. <laughs> He would tell them when they were making a left turn, if they have a green light, to pull out into the intersection. So when the other cars have to, you know, coming at you, stop (laughs) for the new red light, you then make a turn. (laughs) And you don't hold up the left lane. And I laughed like crazy because... That was always his pet peeve, and it's mine, are people who block you making a left turn because they wait and wait and wait until the Uh, light goes red, and then it goes green again. When you can go, if you go out into the (laughs) intersection, you can make the damn turn. Stick your nose. I like that. Pretty basic, but that's pretty cool, especially coming through some of the people that you've known. I think that's a great one. Now, you've talked about uh, many books, and that's usually something I ask people is if there's a, a book that you would recommend to people. And you've talked about many of your books. Is there a book that you've read recently by someone else that you would recommend to people with automotive passion? Well, I tell you, you can't go wrong going to back with and reading the Ken Purdy books that got most most Americans who are real car buffs uh, of a certain age, mm-hmm. got turned on to motor racing by reading Ken Purdy. Yeah, can't go wrong with that. Perfect, perfect. Or, mm-hmm. uh, or modern day, a little, a little more modern. Peter Egan. Oh yes. And Pete Lyons, and those, those three are my uh, favorite. And there's some really, really good guys now. They've been writing for the New York Times and for. Uh, some really funny and clever people, and it's it's. I just love them. I miss the magazines. I mean, I hate them fading. I love magazines. I love newspapers. I sure. hate it that people are reading only on the internet because it's mostly so badly done. <laughs> but uh, I understand. Pete Lyons has been a guest on Cars. Yeah, by the way. So I enjoyed having him yeah. on the show, and uh, yeah, some great books, and, and Egan, and all those are, are fantastic. And, and I'll remind our listeners that you can go to com slash Denise McCluggage and, and find these links on her show notes page. Denise, we're up to the checkered flag, and you're a racer. You know what that means. The flag is out, pedal to the metal. And this last question I have for you can be a real doozy for some people. It might be an easy one for you. If you could only have one collector car in your garage and money's no object today i'm gonna buy you and give you whatever you'd like 
What would that vehicle be and why? A collector car. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, I really it turns me on or the, the French coachwork between the wars. Mm, yes. I just, I, I can't wait to, I haven't been out to Peter Mullins Museum yet. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> Peter collects the cars that I just, when, when I'm a judge at Pebble, and I just know I'm a sucker for those things. They just, I just love them. Oh, yes. And uh, they're so incredible to look at. And We'll have to plan a trip to Mr. Mullen's collection there because I've not been to that museum either, and I would love to go there. Those cars are yeah, yeah. works of that art. That would be terrific. Yeah, works of yep, art. Fantastic. I want, I want to do that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We'll add that to the bucket list. Denise, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for taking time out of your day and and sharing just a part of your journey through life with me. You've had such a rich life. What a fortunate lady you are. And it's great to have another woman on Cars Yeah. Seems like motorsports is so much of a man's world, but it's so great to have your perspective. Is there one parting piece of guidance you might offer our listeners before you drive off into the sunset? in one of those teardrop works of beauty. Piece of advice? Yeah. Keep the revs. Keep the revs up. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yes, that's a great one. Listeners, you can find everything we talked about today here at carsyad.com slash Denise McCluggage. Denise, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time today and your expertise and for sharing a part of your life with me and with the Carsyad listeners. It's been a real treat. Until we talk again at the Mullen Museum, I hope. I'll see you down the road. Okay, terrific. Ciao. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!